Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. Jesus is saying simply here, and you'll see this, that eternal life, salvation is yours for the asking. Not for the doing, but for the asking. Remember, man in our flesh, we want to earn salvation so that we can boast about it. I'm here in heaven because I was so good. I paid my tithes. I came to church every week. I helped people across the street. Oh, I am so good. That's why I am up here because that's why I'm the pastor. That's why I'm the bishop. That's why I'm the prayer warrior because I'm just good. I do, I do, I do. One pump puffs us up, right? But if you puffing yourself up, that's not building a relationship with the Father. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center, located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name for this day, this moment, this time that you've given us to gather around your word. Father, we do pray that you would speak to us today by your spirit that you would lead us into all truth and, and show us things to come. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. Once again, you are the teacher. And by faith, we enter in into that divine knowledge, to, to revelation, to understanding. By faith, we enter in. By faith, we receive from you. And by faith, we put the word in action. That we not be hearers only, but that we, that we be doers of the word. We bless you, Father, today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today we're going to start a new series here at the church, and it's entitled, or rather not, last week we started the series, sorry. This is actually part number two. Yeah, 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 it's going to be one of those days. This is actually part two of the series entitled, Get Up. Praise the Lord, get up. Get up, get up, get up, which we got to really get up and wake up. Get up, wake up, sit up, stand up. And then we're going to speak up. Praise the Lord. So this is part two of that. Now, I want to start today off with the blowing of the shofar. And I also want to encourage you, uh, our online community. As a matter of fact, Kingdom Rock, let us greet our online community by, uh, by hand of applause. Welcome, online community. Welcome. So wherever you are from all around the world, we celebrate you. We thank you for joining in today. You're, you are in the right place at the right time. We thank God for you. And I want to encourage all of you and thank you for your giving. Uh, when you give, people live. So I also want to encourage our online community to give as well. You can go to our website at kingdomrock.org and just click the give button and you can give there online. So we thank God for your faithful faithfulness in tithing and in offering, giving to the ministry. Thank you so much. All right. All right. All right. The blowing of the shofar. God Almighty. 
Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Well, I can keep this up with me all the time. So, Nick, come on in. Come on and grab by Shofar. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. All right. <clears throat> so once again, we're in our series, uh, Get Up. This is part number two. And uh, we're going to rediscover uh, the gospel of grace. And you'll find this in uh, this series. We'll be talking a lot about law and grace. We'll be talking a lot, out of, a lot about that as we go on. So this series comes with a confession. Part one, we, was a, we, we carried it over from the last series, but here we are. This is our brand new confession for this series. Now, I have included scripture references on these. I felt it necessary to do that because I want you not only to confess them, but I need you to learn these and to really memorize these throughout the week. It's important that you do so because we, as we continue to go on, uh, and get into the scriptures, you're going to have to be able many times to defend your position, why you are saved, why you are forgiven, why you are redeemed, and what does the Bible say about it? Uh, I'm not necessarily saying defending in front of other people, but when trouble hits, when condemnation hits, when the devil says all these mean and nasty things into your ears, you're going to have to be able to declare the word of God and shut him down. Hallelujah. You shut the enemy down by the word of God. Amen. You're going to have to be able to say it is written. It is written. You're going to have to be able to say that and declare what the Bible says about it. All right. So there are a few points here. Let's go ahead and make our confession unto the Lord. You notice it starts off with because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Everything Every, every confession under this is because of Christ. It is under the assumption that you have received Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it now. Do it today. Hallelujah. All right. Now, because of, because of him, all these things are true. So let's go ahead and, and say this, uh, starting with uh, because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. All right. Let's go. Because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I am forgiven. Colossians 1, 14. All my sins have been washed away. 1 John 1, 7. I have peace with God. Romans 5, 1. I have been made the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I am, for, I am forever perfected and sanctified, being made holy. Uh, Hebrews 10, 14. I am not now, nor will I ever be condemned by God. Romans 8, 1. I am loved and accepted in the presence of God. John 3, 16. Ephesians 1, 6. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. 1 John 4, 17. Praise God. You get it now? So it is, it is my plan to, as we go throughout the service, as we go throughout the, rather the series, to get into all of those. But we're, of course, going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I do not have a planned script, of course, for the series. Never do. I just hear the voice of the Lord and just try my best to follow what he is saying. Amen? So that's why sometimes if we 
kind of do like this, charge it to me and not to him. Praise the Lord. That's all I can say about it. Hallelujah. But we'll make it there. Amen. All right. So let's go back into Romans 8 verses 1 through 8. And here are our root scriptures and then we'll springboard from here. And it reads like this. This is Romans 8 verses 1 through 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, which walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now again, let's go up to verse number one. We talked about this a little bit on last time. Verse one says again, you need to let this drill in your head. There is therefore now no, and that word now is a forever present tense now. It's now. It's always now. When is now? Now is always now. It's always now. So you will you are not now, nor will you ever be condemned by Father God. Now, that doesn't say you won't be condemned by yourself, that you won't have words against yourself, and it does not say the devil won't uh, try to also condemn you, and that show doesn't say that people, people got their own people-ish stuff, you know? Praise the Lord. But the person that matters most is Father. It's Father God. And because he's not condemning us, we must say that we agree with you, Father. You're not condemning me. Therefore, I am not going to condemn myself. And I would not allow the thoughts or feelings of others to bring condemnation into my life either. Hallelujah. Now, that's a big thing. It says again, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, Verse 1 tells you that a believer, again, is not now will you ever be condemned by God the Father. And it also tells us that there are two types of Christians. Please hear me. Two types of born-again believers. One who live by or walk in the flesh. And walking in the flesh, of course, does denote uh, a measure of sin, walking in sin and walking by our own desires. But more particular, walking in the flesh means you're walking under, under the law. That is, you're walking in a system of do's and don'ts, a system that is based on your performance, that is based on reward. And if you will hopefully discover this later on, that in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, you can write this down, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says that the strength of 
sin is a law, or the law is the strength of sin. All right? So when you, when someone tells you, you better not do this because thus and so, thus and so, they give you law to try to, or they give you rules in order to curb bad behavior. They give you a rule to, in order to curb bad behavior. All that's going to do, all the rule is going to do is make you want to do it more. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say there are some teenage, um, teenage boys out, some teenagers, praise God, bless teenagers. And let, they're out, they're walking down, they're walking down this road. And uh, let's say they're in a residential community. And uh, there are some houses, you know, some nice houses. And then, then there are two houses on the block that are uh, abandoned. All right. So they walk past one house, no problem. The second house they went by, it said, uh, do not throw rocks at this house or bust these windows. Now, both houses, we can say they're absolutely the same type of house, same windows, same yard, same all that stuff. The first house they walked by, no big deal. But because it said, but because there was a rule, something rises up within us that makes us want to don't throw rocks. Something, because we saw a law written, we, something inside of us is rebellious and we instantly want to throw something at it, right? So again, the Bible says in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the strength of sin is the law. The, now, those, an example of those teenagers, was the desire in them to do it when they passed the first house with no sign? Sure, it was there. But it was the law, the written thing that identified the sin, and it made them want to do it. Is the law then evil? No, of course it's not. The law of God is holy. It is just. It simply identifies, it points out what was there. You get it? So if we want to curb someone or tell someone, hey, you got to stay, so you got to stay out of bed with people, you got to stop fornicating, you got to stop shooting, rooting, tooting, pooting, you got to stop all this. You got to stop. And we preach to them, this is what it says, and you got to stop. All you're doing is putting words up and it will strengthen because the strength of sin is a law. But instead of that, if we proclaim to them who they really are, if we proclaim to them that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that, that, um, that they are loved and accepted of the Father, that they are redeemed, that they are kings and priests, and we tell them that they are blameless in the sight of God the Father and that, again, that they are washed in the blood of Jesus, that they are, a, a, they are holy before God. We proclaim who they are. Then all of a sudden, we cease to have a desire to do these things because it is, not, it, is, it is not the law that is put before us, but it's grace that is put before us. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say uh, those teenagers went home. And uh, let's say um, two out of those two teenagers, one went home to, a, to parents, and the parents heard what they said, 
And the parents really got in them. Boy, I'm telling you, you ain't nothing. You just like so-and-so, so-and-so. I told you never to do that. I told you never to do that. You know, and they really just, they just really laid the law down. Right? Well, the other set of parents says, son, you're better than this. You're a king in the eyes of God. You're holy. You are righteous. You are loved. Don't you know who you are? And don't you know who is with you? And begins to affirm to the child, don't you know what your divine destiny is? And, and begin to affirm him and establish him in who he is. Well, they both one has been punished, the first child's been punished, but the second child has been corrected. Got it? There's a difference between a place of punishment and correction. All right? So the Spirit is not going to convict you that born and believer of sin, he will convict you of righteousness, telling you who you are and who you are in God. He will affirm that to you over and over and over and over again who you are and what you possess he will give you truth over and over and over again and he so he continues to usher you in to being like christ well uh, while the devil on the other hand will continue to throw stones at you of condemnation you shouldn't have thrown that rock. Look at you, you bunch of nothing. Why would you do that? And I thought you were saved. I thought you were holy. I thought you were redeemed, huh? Well, look at you. Look at what you did. You know, he throws all that at you, and you're so afraid. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. All right, but getting back to it. Two ways a Christian can live. One, living by flesh, that is living under restraints of the law, that is in a performance-based system. And when you keep on mentioning law, law is simply going to identify your shortcomings. But when we see our shortcomings, it is up to us to cry out for God for a Savior, not say, that Savior is Jesus, amen? Or we can be Christians that walk after the Spirit, that is being grace-minded, that is being righteousness-conscious of who God has made us to be and who we really are in him. That is, we live life with our eyes focused on Christ and not live life focused on ourselves. Remember, that was Peter's problem as he was walking on the water. As long as he was grace conscious, as long as he looked at grace himself, as long as he looked at Jesus, grace himself, remember the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. As long as he continued to look at grace, look at Christ, he walked on the water. He did the impossible. But the moment he looked away, the moment he looked at himself and noticed what he's doing, he began to sink. So this is an example of the two ways that you can live. Now, if you decide to live by grace, that is, uh, grace is making you righteous by faith in Jesus Christ alone, this will produce freedom, and uh, it will produce liberty, and of course, it's freedom from the law of sin and death. So we talked about that in Romans, Romans uh, 8, 2. Now, last week, we, which we really stopped on uh, John 4, verses 9 and 10. I want to show you this out of the New Living Translation, how it reads. This is the conversation with Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, keep those two things in mind because we're going to be talking about 
law and grace. Remember, the law is a system of reward. It is performance. You think now, here's how we walk in flesh, you, because flesh wants to be rewarded. Flesh wants to be rewarded. I want to put in the work, and when I put in the work, I expect to get my reward. Flesh loves to say, well, I fasted and I prayed and I sought God and I did this and I said in my Bible, that's how I got this anointing. Flesh loves the system of reward, doing to get rewarded, doing to get rewarded. We love to say, instead of someone else paying off the bill, we, you know, we, we like to have pride and yeah, I paid it off myself. I, I got this and I did this and I did that. We love to be flesh, loves to be puffed up loves to be proud. Flesh loves to be independent. We want to be independent and get things on our own, by and large. Got it? But grace is when we are dependent upon the Father, dependent upon his righteousness, dependent upon him to make us godly, dependent upon him to make us holy, dependent upon him by his grace where we stand in his presence holy and accepted by his grace and by his grace alone. But again, man wants to do it ourselves, but that's not the way that God wants to do it. That's not the way he set it up. So, all right, let's look at John 4, verse 9 and 10, this conversation with Jesus and the woman at the well. Verse 9 says, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Got the scenario? You know the account. Look at verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God, uh, rather, if you only knew the gift God has uh, for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus said, if you only knew the gift of God, well, what's the gift of God? Righteousness is the gift of God. Righteousness, God's right standing that he gives to you, that's a gift and we'll talk about that. That's a gift. That's something you don't earn. God. It is God's unmerited favor that he gives to you, all right? He said, if you only knew the gift of God, and the gift of God is righteousness, and who it was that is speaking to you. Who is that? Jesus. He is the grace of God in action. He brought grace in. Are you with me? So Jesus, through Jesus, we receive the grace of God. So he said, if you only knew the gift of God, that is grace. If Woman, if you only knew Grace, if you only knew about this gift, and if you knew who I was, the giver of the grace, I, if you would, and this is a big thing here, you would ask me, and I would give you. Jesus said, if you knew about God's grace, if you knew about uh, the gift of righteousness, if you knew about the gift of righteousness, and who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you this living water. Living water talks about the Holy Spirit and also talks about eternal life. So what are we saying here? Jesus is saying simply here, and you'll see this, that eternal life, salvation is yours for the asking. Not for the doing, but for the asking. Remember, 
man in our flesh, we want to earn salvation so that we can boast about it. I'm here in heaven because I was so good. I paid my tithes. I came to church every week. I helped people across the street. Oh, I am so good. That's why I am up here because that's why I'm the pastor. That's why I'm the bishop. That's why I'm the prayer warrior because I'm just good. I do, I do, I do. One pump puffs us up, right? But if you're puffing yourself up, that's not building a relationship with the Father. You got me? That's not grace. That's pride, and we're going to understand that. That's pride, and we're going to ask God to deliver us, continue to deliver us from the spirit of pride. So again, we receive the gift by asking, not by laboring. You receive salvation by asking. You ask God to save you, not by working for salvation. Got it? So it seems simple. But I'm telling you, condemnation is very sneaky. It's very sneaky the way the devil can bring in law. Now, if he brings in law, and here's the danger of this. If you fall in the trap of law being performance-based, you're going to find it very hard to believe God for healing, believe God for deliverance, believe God for anything, because you think that you haven't earned it. Or you think that God won't answer your prayers because you've done this and because you've done that. All that says is that you're still laboring under a system of law. You're still trying to qualify for God's blessings based on what you've done. When Jesus said, no, 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 you can never do enough good on your own. I'll do it for you. So you just believe in me and I'll credit your account with what you need. Hallelujah. I'll give you the righteousness. I'll give you the right standing by simply you believing in me, walking in what, walking in the things that I have done for you. All right. Let me give you another example. If someone pays off your house, if you knew if you had a rich uncle or somebody or someone in here paid off your house, let's say if the Robinsons were to pay off your house, praise God. The moment they pay off your house, we're waiting for it now. The moment they pay off your house, stop sending in mortgage payments. Get me? The moment the house is paid off, stop sending in the mortgage payment. It's done. You don't have to work for something that has already been paid for. But here again, here's, here's the thing of walking in flesh when Jesus has already done the work, and then we go before God a begging and a whining, oh God, please, please forgive me of this, and please forgive me of that, please help me, please help me, a begging and whining. We say, oh Lord, I know I did this, and I know I did that, I did this, and I shouldn't have done that, and I this, and, and here, what are you doing? You're trying to qualify to get this prayer answered. You're hoping that you have done enough good so that God will reward you with, the, with an answered prayer. Make sense? But if we say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, in the name of the righteous one, and I stand in your presence based on his righteousness. I stand in the blood of Jesus, and I thank you, Lord, that his blood makes me permanently righteous. His blood makes me accepted in your presence. His blood makes me guiltless. His blood makes me blameless. And so I ask you, through that righteousness, 
And doing it this way, coming through Christ, not looking at what I've done, but looking at what he's done, I can receive from the Lord because I'm not trying to qualify. I can receive from, from the Lord based on what Jesus has done. Yes. Got it? Yes. All right. Let me show you another one. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verse, uh, verses 8 and 9. Again, out of the New Living Translation, I love the way this sounds here. This will help bring it home to you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Say that with me. God saved me by his grace when I believed. All right. It says, and you can't take credit for this. It is a, come on. It is a what? Gift. It is a what? Gift. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Got it? So the question I need to ask you is, are you tired? Are you tired of the do right, do right to be right system. Do right to be right system because that's what law is. If you do right, then eventually, if you do enough right, then you eventually will be right. That's not what God has called for. You're trying to manufacture holiness. You think if I, you know, and we think about the word holiness. Here's another thing. We think when we say the word holiness, we think about somebody maybe wearing a long dress or, or somebody that is living a certain lifestyle. You say, oh boy, they are holy. They are holy because they don't cuss, they don't fuss. They're holy because they don't drink. They're holy because they don't uh, do drugs. They're holy because they don't watch this nasty stuff. They are holy. We think of holiness as something that we do and not as something that we are. God made you holy, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Let me give you an example of that. If you go back in the Old Testament in the temple, why was the temple holy, or why was the Ark of the Covenant holy? And why were the utensils in the temple holy, the gold that God had holy? Well, because all these things were sprinkled by blood. When the priests came in and they, they took the, the blood of a, a lamb or some type of sacrifice and they would go in and they would sprinkle these items with blood. It was the blood, when the blood of that sacrifice touched that object, it became holy. It became separate unto God. When the blood touched it, it became holy. Now, that gold fork or that gold plate didn't get up and go do a whole lot of good stuff. It didn't do anything unless somebody took it over there to do it. All right, you got me. Well, what made it holy? It was the blood that was applied to it. It was the blood. It was stained with the blood of the sacrifice that made it holy. Holiness is not what we do. It is who we are. Let me bring it home to you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, his blood was sprinkled upon your life. His blood came upon your life. He sprinkled you as the high priest of our salvation. He sprinkled his blood upon your life. And it is his blood that has made you holy. 
holy. It has made you holy and acceptable unto God. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is holy, sprinkled by blood. Now, when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant away and they put it in the Temple of Dagon, and uh, of course it was there for a while and Israel took a long time to get it back. But this holy thing was out of place. This holy thing was in a bad place. It was in the temple of an enemy. Did not cease to make it holy because it was in the wrong place? No, it was still holy. It was still holy. And we, we saw what happened there and all that. And how, we won't go into how Israel got it back and what happened then. But just because it was in the wrong place did not mean it, it, was, it was no longer holy. Just because we, if we are believers, if we happen to go in a wrong place, that doesn't mean that we're less holy. No, as a matter of fact, it also means that the place you are is probably going to be sanctified because you're there. And that place where you are, <laughs> because you're there, many times will suffer some type of terrible thing happen to it because you are there. Either the place where you are can be uh, it will be preserved because you're there, or if it, uh, or some type of bad things can come because you're there. As we saw there in the, with the case of the ark in the temple of Dagon, you know, everybody developed some type of sores and I think hemorrhoids and all that stuff in town because they had the temple, that holy, they hoped they had the ark in the temple of Dagon. It didn't go very well. They had to get that out of that place. Get this ark out of here because the wrath of God is falling upon us. Get this out of here. That holy thing, they taken it uh, for their own use. Um, all right, so let's go on. But I'm just saying, saying to you that you are holy, not because of what you do, but because of the finished work of Jesus. His blood shed upon your life. So that when you fall into sin or fall into some type of temptation, the sin that you commit does not make you less holy because your righteous deeds that you've done did not make you holy in the first place. It's the blood of Jesus that makes you holy. Got it? It's the blood that makes you holy. So when you identify with the blood of Jesus makes me holy. Not my righteous actions. It's the blood that was sprinkled upon me that has made me holy and acceptable to God. Having that understanding, when I trip or fall into something that I should not be in, I can arise from that understanding, wait a minute, I am holy. And I can begin to remind myself who I am. I am holy. I am righteous. I don't belong here. And you will arise from where you are and you'll find that the blood of Jesus will cleanse you and wash you from that sin and that unrighteousness when you begin to confess who you are in him, what he has done for you. You find yourself beginning to rise once again. Now, God's position with you has not changed. He still loves you. He still loves you. But our position that is in our our soul or in our mind, we think that God no longer loves us or we think ourselves bad because of what we have done when God still loves you regardless of what you have done. He still loves you if you're in Christ Jesus. You got me? You got me? Let's look at um, 
Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. This is what Jesus was talking about as he was talking about uh, really people laboring to be right, laboring to be right. He says here in Matthew 11, 38, or rather 28 through 30, he says, the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, if you are laboring, trying to be right with God, you don't have rest. You're not resting in your soul. But when you come to him, who is him? Jesus. Who is Jesus? The one who gives us grace. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ. As you come to grace, what? You will find rest because you're ceasing from your trying so hard. Lord, I'm just so trying so hard. I want to do good, but I can't help but to do bad. Lord, Lord says, come away from that and see me, see Christ, see Christ revealed before you, see Christ uh, set forth before you, uh, crucified before you, risen from the dead, see his precious blood as it has washed away your sins, as he has made you holy and righteous in the sight of God. See Christ. Now, as you see Christ, you will find peace and rest for your soul. But if your attention is on you, oh, I haven't done this. I haven't studied enough. I haven't, haven't read enough. I haven't done this enough. I haven't done that enough. Attention is on you. When your attention is on you, condemnation is, is quick to come in the door. And when you're feeling condemned, when you're feeling condemned, you don't want to pursue a relationship with Father because you think that Father is angry with you. Condemnation, a feeling of condemnation and guilt does not promote fellowship with God, but it actually promotes um, a, you know, walking away from him. You, you, don't, you don't want to be around somebody when you think that they're mad at you. You got me? Now, Jesus warns us about self-righteousness, and, and we're going to uh, begin to close out just shortly. Jesus warns us, warns us of self-righteousness. Let's look at this very excellent parable. Let's look at Matthew, Matthew 5, um, really just one verse. Matthew 5, verse 20, then we get to a parable. Matthew 5, verse 20. The Lord says here, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Lord said, unless you have more righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to get into heaven. Now, think about this in terms of, of what the people saw then. To them, the scribes and Pharisees, of course, were their religious leaders. They were their pastors. They were their teachers, their bishops, so to speak. So if, we, if the Lord were to come here and say, except you are more righteous than Pastor Stroud, except you are more righteous than, than, um, than brother so-and-so, other pastor over here or bishop over there, except you are more righteous than them, you're not going to get into heaven. People say, oh, my God, how, he's a man of God or, or she's a woman of God. How, how, how can that be? How, 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 how is that possible? 
If we think that, and that's what a lot of people think, but to exceed their righteousness is to receive the righteousness of Christ. Are you hearing me? Jesus is not telling them you got to be more righteous, except you are more righteous than them, you can't get into heaven. He's telling them, hey, if you want to exceed them, exceed their righteousness, come to me. Because their righteousness was as a filthy rag. They were only self-righteous. And so he's telling them, if you're going to be self-righteous, you're not going to make it into heaven. But if your righteousness comes from God alone, comes through the shed blood of Jesus, then you will be saved. You got it? But there are a lot of people today that are still very self-righteous in the church. Now, how do you know you're self-righteous or not? Every time you go to pray, are you drawn to the Father or do you feel condemned? If you're feeling condemned, if you say, God won't hear, I don't think he'll hear my prayer. Self-righteous. Why do I say you're self-righteous? Because you're righteous in your own estimation. You say you haven't done enough. You say you haven't been good enough. Where's that standard coming from? You! It is self-righteous. You're pointing to a righteousness that's in you instead of pointing to a righteousness that comes from Christ alone. Bless you. Got it? Let's look at this. The Pharisees, again, were self-righteous. And the Lord gives us a strong case against them here in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Listen to this out of the King James Version. Again, you do not want to be self-righteous. Your righteousness must come from Christ alone. Glory. Now, here's some indications of self-righteousness. We want to make sure that this is not in you. Now, again, we can slip into this mode. You can slip very, it's very slippery. But you have to shake yourself and ask the Lord, ask him or let him show you whether you're in self-righteousness or not. And there, there are some great keys here. Let's read it. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, and he spake this, rather, yeah, and he's, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in who? Themselves. Help me read it now. Which trusted who? In themselves. Come on, y'all. Help me read it. Just open your mouth and say it. Come on. Which trusted who? Themselves. Which trusted in themselves that they were what? Righteous. Do you see this? Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and what? And despise others. That's a self-righteous heart. If you look down on other people, you have a self-righteous heart. And, you're, and basically, if you're a believer, you have fallen from grace. Got me? Look at verse number 10. We're going to help today. Verse 10 says, two men went up into uh, the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, how? With himself. Do you see that? He prayed with himself. He just mentioned God's name here. He just mentions God, but he prayed with himself. He says, uh, pray thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. 
extortioners, unjust, uh, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast. See, how is he validating his righteousness? By what he does. I don't do this. I don't do that. And because I don't do this, and because I don't do that, I must be righteous. Right? Let's look on. Uh, he says here, I fast twice in the week. I, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, listen to what the publican did, the, the sinner did, this is what he did. And the, the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up as much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself, that's that self-righteous person, everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You got it? Self-righteousness promotes independence from God. Self-righteousness promotes independence from God. It ignores relationship with God, and it produces a prideful heart. It's hard for them to receive from God, especially when they think, I haven't done enough. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't given enough. I haven't done enough good. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. Or, I have done this, God. I've given, I've been to church. I've paid my tithes. I've been good. I haven't done this. So, God, you owe me. And the moment you put your finger in God's face and say, you owe me, you're probably going to draw back a nub. Are you hearing there's no amount of good that you can do to make yourself good before God. The standard is too high. Only Christ, only when you get on Christ's shoulders and he raises you up through what he has done, can we become good enough and great and perfect and blameless in the eyes of God. But standing on your own two feet, trying to hit that standard, you'll never do it. It is only through Christ alone. True humility produces dependence upon God. Relationship, gratitude, and it places the worshiper in the position to receive from God. It's much easier to receive from God when your life is centered on his grace. Now listen, in the very beginning, you can clearly see law and grace in action. Remember with Adam and Eve, before they, before they partook of the forbidden uh, tree that is of the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of it, before then, they were dependent upon the Father. They walked in communion with him every day in dependence. They were dependent upon the Father for everything. And their relationship was wonderful because that's how God intended it to be. The Father is the fuel. His righteousness, his grace is the fuel in which we, we run on, we run on that. He is our fuel. He is the air that's in our lungs. But the moment they partook of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, then they saw, oh, oh, I'm, I'm naked. So I must now cover myself. 
I'm naked, so I must now hide away from God. Being filled with that knowledge, the tree wasn't bad, but God said, once you eat of it, he said, don't eat of it, and the day you eat of it, you, you will surely die. That is, there will be a separation. You will separate from me because you begin immediately to condemn yourself because uh, before, I've been covering your nakedness. I've been covering this. I had you covered over here as long as you were dependent upon me. But the moment you partook of this, you began to depend upon yourself. And when you depend upon yourself for righteousness, depend upon yourself, you begin to hide from me. You got it? Hallelujah. Now, as we close, closing number three. Hallelujah. I know you're counting. I need to show you the battle, this battle, and we'll, we'll end here. We'll start it here, and we'll start here next time, but we'll end it here today. This battle, there's been a battle raging in the halls of the church ever since the book of Acts, ever since the beginning. There's been a battle raging between law and grace, and it's been raging, 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 raging. Where some say, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, then God, then God will take you in. You got to do, you got to do, then God will take you in. But then grace says, I've already done it, so believe in what I've done. And you receive the righteousness that you need, and the Father will receive you. But there's been an unholy mixture that I want to show you here in Scripture an unholy mixture that's been battling, and, it, and it's really been the, the enemy just weaving it because when you try to mix law and grace together, what you do is you create something that is abominable and it will effectively neuter the church, make us impotent. Look at Acts 15, verse number one, and then we'll look at, we'll go a little bit further down. We'll, we'll start it here. All right. Acts 15, verse number one says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, what did we just read a little while ago? By grace are you saved. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You come into a relationship with the Father because you believed in Jesus. But here are people that come down from Judea. These were the believing Pharisees. They believed Jesus, but they still continue to keep the law. And they said, talking about new converts, people that just came to Christ, except they follow the law of Moses, they cannot be saved. In essence, they were saying, yes, we believe in Jesus, but what Jesus did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection was not enough. You're going to have to believe in Jesus, yes, but you're going to also have to follow these religious laws of Moses. That's what they're also saying. So here's law and here's grace. Believe in Jesus, but you still got to live right. Believe in Jesus, but you still not better curse. Because if you do that, you will not get into heaven. What are we saying here? There's a mixture of law and grace, and it has made the church impotent. Let's look on down. Look at verse five. It says, but there, there rose up certain 
of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider, rather, for to consider, one more time, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And verse 7, and when they, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made a choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy, the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? That's a bad thing, by the way. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, the new converts, new believers, to put a yoke, uh, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Do you see that? They were saying, guess what Jesus did with something? Yes, we received God's grace, but you still got to do right in order to enter the right place. They were saying it's through grace alone, through God's favor upon your life alone. Now, when people give their lives to Jesus and they receive the grace of God, when we receive the grace of God, do we want to go out and commit sin and so forth and so on? No, absolutely not, because our nature has been changed. The Holy Spirit of God, God himself lives on the inside of us. And it is not our desire once clean to go back out and, and wallow in the mud. But sometimes as we walk through this life, we are deceived and, and sometimes we know full well what we're doing and we slip right into the mud. But when we're there, we fall down, but we get up. And we fall down, but we get up. We get up with the knowledge of who Jesus is, that he has made us righteous. And it's through grace alone. It is through faith and grace alone that we are saved. There's no need for a mixture. Once you give your life to Jesus and his blood has been sprinkled upon your life, has been applied to your life, and God has made you anew, you are born of God. You are forever perfected and you are being made holy. You are being sanctified. That holiness is, is working its way out in your life. Sanctification is working its way out in your life. Hallelujah. God doesn't need you to do more good in order for you to be good in his sight. You will do good because the good one is in you. You're not doing good to be good. The one that is good has made you good. But the moment you say, I've got to do good now so God will like me, you have fallen from grace. 
and now you're right back under the law. You're right back in condemnation. Does that mean you're no longer saved? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that as long as you're over there under law, you're going to feel the shame. You're going to feel the guilt. You're going to find it hard to pray. And that's exactly what the devil wants you. God says, go and pray with so-and-so. You say, but, oh, Lord, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know enough Bible. I can't do that, Lord. You remember what I did yesterday? I can't do that, Lord. Remember what I just said? I can't remember what I, I can't because of I, I can't because of I. What does that mean? Self-righteous under law. But if he says pray, you say, Lord, I'll pray because of what Jesus has done for me. I stand in righteousness, knowing that I'm holy and acceptable in your presence, knowing that I am blameless in your sight, forever perfected in your sight. When you look at me, you see Jesus. When you look at me, because the Bible says, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. So as Jesus is perfectly accepted and perfectly loved and perfectly received, therefore I am perfectly loved and accepted and received. As Jesus is blameless in your sight, I am blameless in your sight. Yes, Father, I will pray. I will lay hands upon them and I will believe you for their miracle, oh God. Because I don't stand in my righteousness. I stand in what Jesus Christ has done alone. And anytime we say to somebody, yes, you believe in Jesus. You gave your life to the Lord. Oh, yes. Okay, now it's up to you now. Now you got to go and do right. Moment you say, now you got to go and do right. Now you got to go and stop doing drugs. Now you got to go and stop sleeping around. Now you got to go and stop cussing. Now you got to go and stop doing it. The moment you do that, you create an unholy mixture. And you say in your actions that what Jesus did was not enough to save you. You say it's Jesus plus your righteous life will make it, you'll make it into heaven. Jesus plus you doing right will make God like you. And that is a damnable heresy. Are you hearing me? No, what Christ did was perfect. Perfect. And when we, when we believe in what he said and confess what he said and keep him in full view, looking away from ourselves, looking away from our faults and, and frailties, and there are a lot but as we look to him, we'll, we'll become more like him. And the more we become like him, the more we'll see changes around our lives. Every day becoming more and more like him. So my brothers and sisters, let us not be sin conscious, but be grace conscious. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as you do that, focusing on what he did, focusing on what he did, I'm telling you, you begin to see more of the reality of that coming into your life. But if you focus on you, focus on what you haven't done, focus on how bad you've been, all that's going to do is bring you down further to condemnation. Because, listen, in your eyes, you'll never do enough good. In your eyes, you'll always mess up. But if you look at Christ, God's perfect example, the more you look to him, the more you'll be like him. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the word that you've given us today. And Lord, I pray that you would seal your word in your Holy Spirit. 
Father, I pray for those that are here today and those that are joining us online right now and those who will be joining us for the replay later. Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would give them the revelation of Christ, that they would see Jesus crucified and risen from the dead, that, Lord, that you would give them witness to the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on their behalf. Lord, that you would give them witness that through Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that we will walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, and that, Lord, signs and and wonders will follow the ministry of your word as we simply believe in you. For it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. May we rest in the finished work of Christ alone. May we rest in his atoning sacrifice. May we rest in knowing that Jesus is the answer and that he has the answer for everything that ails us. Lord, I pray that you keep your people safe and sound and secure, that they will continue to abide in Jesus who is the secret place of the Most High, and they shall abide under the shadow of the Most. They shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Father, I thank you that you would deliver your people from every pestilence and plague. And Lord, I declare that no evil shall befall them; neither shall any plague come nigh their dwelling. For you will give your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways. They shall bear them up in their hands, lest they dash their foot against a stone. I declare, Lord, your word that your people are righteous, that they are holy, that they are redeemed. Show them, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Amen. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.